This is the I Read Comic Books podcast, and I am your host for this episode, Paul Jaisley. Our intrepid host and international man of mystery, Mike Rappin, is still uh, in Europe on a top-secret mission, so we're filling in in his absence. But I'm not alone. I'm joined by two wonderful people to talk about comics with, Nick White. Hey. And Renee Rodriguez. What's up? And, of course, I have to ask the question, because I'm legally obligated as serving host of the show, to ask the question that I, Mike asks every episode, how are you doing? How have comics been? Let's start with you, Renee. Uh, well, I'm doing superbly. Uh, comics are always good to me, because, you know, they're just, they're so warm and fuzzy. Um <laughs> Where are you buying your comics? Yeah, those are the paper qualities I, I look for. I think they're growing mold. <laughs> Renee, that is not standard storage protocol. We are going to have a talk after this show. No, actually, that's very funny because I actually just bagged and boarded like all my comics, and uh, like all of them. Yes, like, all of literally... them. Oh. I went through all of my collection and I bagged and boarded everything that I own. Wow! And how many bags and boards did you have to buy? Like, way too many. <laughs> what was your shop's reaction when you're like, okay, I need all of these supplies? So here's the thing, though, is I've had to like go back like eight times to do this. Oh god! And uh, it was just it was so bad because I bought like 200 bags and boards the first time, and that wasn't enough. So I had to go back and buy another hundred, and it still wasn't enough. So then I had I asked for my my brothers to buy me bags and boards for Christmas, and they did. And then it's just, they'd been sitting there for so long. And I finally was just like, one day I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to just finish bagging and boarding everything. And so that was. So this wasn't like a, this wasn't like a scenario where you like suddenly found out that like this bagging and boarding thing is something you're like supposed to do. This is something you knew. And then it just spiraled out of control. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, work, work and life get out of control or whatever, but it was a slow burn, but I had at least like 200 comics, not bagged and boarded and it was terrible. And then I had a free Saturday and I was like, all right, we're going to do it. And it took forever. And I was getting pestered by like eight other people. They was like, what are you doing? Do you don't waste your Saturday. And I was like, get I'm off my, my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm doing my, my duties. Uh, so long, long boxes or short boxes, Renee, I, I have to ask. It's the, it's the, <laughs> it's the proverbial, uh, boxers or briefs on this show. It's actually both. Okay. Uh, I filled, okay. I filled, uh, two long boxes and I have half of a short box and then, uh, all of my trades on my bookshelf. So, okay. So, and uh, I actually, this is actually after giving away like half of my collection, like a year or two ago, I got, I, I had to get rid of some stuff. <laughs> Sure. Why? No. <laughs> well, I needed to fit. I needed to to just cut some of the fat, and there were some series that weren't that great. But um, yeah. Other than that, comics have been good to me. Mostly reading manga right now because I'm I'm waiting on the paycheck. But other yeah. than that, comics have been good. You know, just reading. Man- manga's pretty economical. I've, I mean, I, I know very little, but from like our discussions and from sort of, I think a lot of the manga, uh, the manga fire that you, you ignited under Mike Rappin again. Uh, thank you very much for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's been weird to hear you guys talk about like pricing and everything for all of this. And I'm like, what the hell? Like manga is cheap. I mean, mm-hmm. I see the books. I, 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 I see the paper quality and I'm like, 
what's that about? Oh, it's wonderful. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I My have goodness. I have this one manga that's almost uh it's almost like fifteen years old and it's still okay. it's still fantastic. Sometimes the binding gets a little worn, but the paper is still mm-hmm. like awesome. And um and there's also digital comics now and the there's sales all over like you can still get weekly shonen jump on Comixology, but also like Comixology has sales, Viz and Funimation have um sales for stuff like all the time and you can also if you have Crunchyroll, you can read mm-hmm. weekly chapters. Hmm. Yeah, I remember when you were saying that like the what is it like the weekly collection of Yeah, we, whatever weekly shonen jump of manga that is is like two dollars for however many pages and i was yeah that was shocking yeah it's like <laughs> yeah, it's like two or three dollars for about 20 chapters of different <laughs> stories and each chapter is about 20 pages so that's that's just crazy bonkers so well is there anything you've read recently that you want to uh talk about renee yes yes sorry about that we kind of that's went right. off on a tangent um <laughs> On what this are, show, that never happens. <laughs> yeah, those aren't... We don't have tangents. We just have uh, mistakes that get cut out later. <laughs> cut that one, Xander, I dare you. <laughs> Anywho, yes. Um, one of the series that is um, really great in Shonen Jump right now, which is sort of um, becoming one of the new flagship series, is Dr. Stone. And it's about... Uh, the world has entered a new Stone Age, and a couple of people from you know, uh, modern times have been trapped in stone for like 3,000 years and they've just broken out to this stone age and one of them is a scientist and he's trying to recreate the civilization of science and it's really funny and it's really cool. It's very interesting and they just made ramen and they just made a light bulb (laughs) to just to prove that they could and it's so incredibly silly and it's awesome and apparently now they're going to make cola and uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all the important stuff ramen well, light bulbs uh, uh, cola well it's because uh, right, i just want to make certain i understand this right so this isn't like a modern day encino man sort of scenario where someone's been trapped and it's like welcome to the future it's not like that this is you've been trapped and now we're maybe even further back in time than whenever you were trapped no 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 it's they've gone further in time so it's more like the time machine that the future has progressed okay. so much that the something happened to the world and now everything is back to like a stone age type thing. But mm. there right, is, right, right. So that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's sort of like the the little homage at the beginning of Futurama where you see everything speed up and the aliens keep coming back and destroying yeah. Earth over and over and over again. So this person like wakes up and it's like welcome to the future. It's just as bad as it's actually way worse than <laughs> than what you remember. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Oh, that's I like that. That's very dark. Yeah, that's, but there's there's also like <laughs> somehow there's humans that have survived or whatever. So he's trying to recruit them to his um he he calls it his civilization of science. So he's trying to recruit them. So that's why he made ramen was he made them cuz basically all they eat is like legumes and grilled fish so he's like i'm gonna make ramen something you've never had before and then you're gonna and become my cola slaves. for your teeth and i'll work on toothpaste in a couple years well the, the cola thing was because um because like it's called dr stone because like all the humans at one point in the world were turned to stone and so they found a way to um sort of unpetrify them and so this guy gets unpetrified and he He's from our time, and so he eats the bowl of ramen. He goes, oh, man, this would be really good if I had cola with it. So he asks the scientist, he's like, do you think you could make cola? And it's... 
(laughs) It sounds outrageous without being able to explain everything that happens in the story because there's so much and we're like 26 chapters in, which doesn't seem like that long, but so much has already happened and it's, it's a really good series. And I would say like, if there's actually, I can't even say that because I can't say like, Oh, if there's one (laughs) series, you absolutely need to read this because there's so many, but like, uh, it's not it's not that as, far along. As long as that book begins with just the narration and it starts with at first I was afraid, I was petrified. No. Um, <laughs> boo. Like no. <laughs> no thanks, Nick. I think I'm laughing more at, at Paul's oh just the disappointment in his voice. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's very used to it by now. Yeah, I know. It's, I should have uh, seen that coming. I should have seen that coming. Yeah. I, I would just say because Doctor Stone doesn't have that many chapters out, so a lot of people are worried about like picking up a series and having so much to read it. But this mm-hmm. series is still really new, so I would say read it. It's a fun read. That's it. I've taken, up, I've taken up too much time, so I'm going to end it there for my part. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that does sound interesting. I'll have to check that stuff out. So uh, what about you, Nick? What have you been reading? Um, yeah, I've, I've been reading a good amount. Things have been pretty busy this, this whole weekend has sort of just been a nonstop blur of work and then more work and then coming into work and then, uh, uh, caught a couple, a little bit of the, the football games yesterday that I know that so much of our, uh, listening base uh, loves so very much. Yeah, yeah. Sports. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, rather than talk about that stuff, which I know all of you, you know, relate to on a very intimate and heartfelt level. I'll, I'll talk about a few of the books that I've been reading. Um, I read Skin and Earth, number two. This is the second installment in the miniseries uh, done by Dynamite. It seems like a very weird fit for Dynamite, but I guess it had to happen somewhere. Um, and this is the um, book that's being written, drawn, colored, uh, lettered, everything by the uh, synth, uh, synth pop star uh, Lights, who's a Canadian <laughs> musician. Uh, and I'm a huge, huge fan of her music, have been for probably nearly 10 years, and she's always done a lot of her um, promotional art for albums and and a lot of her um, album covers, although I think that that was largely true of some of her older stuff. Um, But this comic is actually meant to be a tie-in to her upcoming uh, album uh, that's coming out, I think in maybe a week or two, and so certain songs are linked to certain parts of the comic, and certain parts of the comic actually use lyrics that are in the songs, or is it vice versa? Who knows? Um, but it's kind of a post-apocalyptic narrative um, where the world's population is sort of divided into the people who end up living near the really you know dangerous, gunky, chemical, like, you know, you're probably going to breed this for 20 years and then die areas and then sort of the cleaner areas and it focuses on a character who has a like a special past that allows her to move between the zones even though she lives in sort of the very chemically like oh don't want to be here probably need a hazmat suit and you know a full you know 500 gallon tub of purell in my house (laughs) um but it's very interesting. Uh, it's even more interesting when we don't really have the album yet. So it's kind of, I mean, we have a couple of the songs, but uh, you know, I haven't really engaged with that many projects that have this sort of full multimedia experience bouncing mm-hmm. back and forth between mediums. So it's, it's, it's an interesting um, sort of experience to have. Yeah. So um, I've, I've enjoyed that. 
and it's it's very it's very odd because she's very clearly like a self-trained artist and so there are certain things you see in her art that you're like um you know I don't really know if this is something I would see from a different artist but um her behind the scenes parts in the back which talk about how she sort of is kind of learning as she goes that that's mm-hmm. very entertaining and very interesting cuz with a lot of other artists it's like you know obviously I did this and obviously I did that and you know well no duh I used this color palette and with her it's kind of like well I learned how this works and then I kind of it's 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 a very behind the scenes that is is I I find super enlightening and for someone who you know doesn't know that much about the full process um hmm. I thought that was pretty engaging interesting um what else? I read Mr. Miracle number one. That's the new one. Uh, that's right. Contrarian <laughs> Nick finally got around to it. Uh, I'll quickly say a few things about that. <laughs> um, and look, I'm not trying to stir shit up here, but I guess that's what's going to happen. Was it good? Yeah, it was good. Was it probably a little bit overhyped? Of, of course. Welcome welcome to 2017. N- nothing mm-hmm. doesn't get overhyped these days. Uh I think what was interesting is that for me, what worked so well about this book was how little it did reveal about things. Like you, you learn, at least for me, I don't know what it was like for you, Paul, that like mm-hmm. you learn not really to trust Scott as a character. Right. Uh, he doesn't seem to know where he is. He doesn't seem to know who he is. Um, his memories don't seem very reliable. Uh, is is he grounded in our world, like a very realistic world, or is he grounded in sort of that Kirby world of the older comics? Um, I think as a setup issue and as a mystery, I found it very good. And mm-hmm. I thought Mitch Garrett's art was fantastic, especially a lot of the um, stuff that looked like a 1950s distorted TV or like a bad VHS tape where, you know, the, mm-hmm. the colors and the tracking are all off. Um, I thought as a setup issue and as sort of a really muddying the water issue, I thought it was good, but I don't know. Uh, I don't, I didn't think it was quite what everyone else thought it was, but maybe it's just cause I've been spoiled and have thought comics have been so good for a while now that I didn't think they needed rescuing. Like apparently a bunch of these, <laughs> a bunch of these critics, Oh, comics have just, you know, they've been, you know, it's been a death knell for years and Mr. Miracle shows up and it's like, Mr. Yeah. Miracle is a good book. Comics have been good recently. I do think uh, it is a little disingenuous uh, in that regard because it, for a book from DC or Marvel, it is very, very good. But the thing yes. is there's other publishers yes. doing just as interesting stuff. That doesn't get as much And coverage, I think the real so. tragedy is even with Marvel and DC, they've been doing interesting and weird things here and there too, exactly. but apparently yeah. that stuff went by the wayside of a lot of these people, mm-hmm. like, you know, Omega Men or, or Vision, you know, as we've talked about, and, yeah. and even some of the more popular books have actually gotten critical acclaim, so that's, mm-hmm. you know... I guess everyone just needs to read Animal Man, and then I will stop complaining. <laughs> okay, there you go. You fixed comics yet again. Um, I was actually thinking about reading else? Animal Man recently. I don't remember why. Which I just remember thinking like... Which one, Renee? The, the Lemire run or the Morrison run? Or I guess if you're really weird, one of the ones the in between ones, the two. Yeah. No, I wanted, to, I wanted to start from the New 52 and then just like get to current. Okay. So I, mm-hmm. but I, yeah. you know what it was? Is I was watching that Teen Titans movie, and I remember Mike Rappin telling me back in the day that they were going to have Beast Boy in the New Fifty Two somehow be related to the Red, which was Animal Man's thing or something. And so I was like, oh, you know what? Oh. I should read Animal Man because I wonder if they actually did that with Beast Boy. 
but I don't remember because I think that got retconned after DC Rebirth. So I guess it doesn't matter, but at the same time, I still like feel like I should read Animal Man. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. The The art style isn't for everyone, but uh, Travel Foreman's art is definitely a, an acquired taste, but for horror, I think you really can't do much better than that. Um, let's see, a few other brief things. Secret Weapons 3 oddly got sort of political and wanted to discuss uh, the issues of discrimination and, and police brutality and whatnot, and it was um, very interesting to have that in this book, but then again, with Secret Weapons in a lot of ways being sort of a contemporary allegory to um, X-Men, I guess we shouldn't be really shocked that it's <laughs> it's addressing things like that. Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye number eight. Probably should have been called Cave Carson had a cybernetic eye uh, number eight. Uh, uh, cue the uh, air horn noises right here uh, and here uh, and there. And um, it's a weird issue. I don't really understand why his brain still seems to be acting and working as if it's like it's like he has like a phantom eye. It's like the equivalent of a phantom limb. It's it's no longer there, but for some weird reason, it seems to be functioning in weird ways. I'm sure Paul can obviously touch on this way more than I ever could <laughs> um, um, in terms yeah. of where that is because he's not behind. Mm-hmm. Um, Lastly, I want to just briefly say, uh, Dark Knight's Metal number one uh, for my for me is really my big focus for this week. I was actually very pleasantly surprised for all of the overhyping that um, Mister Miracle got. I think DC Metal probably was for most people coming in with lower expectations. Um, Snyder recently hasn't been totally hitting it out of the park for me with all-star batman and of course this is in some ways for better or for worse still a summer event so expectations were i think a little bit diminished for a lot of people um and and of course adding to the fact that we've been hearing about this book for what paul like a year and a half at this point yeah it's been Um, a while and so we've it's it's been a while as as uh you know nickelbacks uh put it Oh, sorry, that was stained. What am I thinking? Uh, <laughs> How dare you? 2002 music. Get out. Um, but I really enjoyed it. It was so much fun. You've got, like, Red Tornado. You've got Batman riding dinosaurs. You've got Hawkman and Hawk Girl and this big sort of mystery going on. And you've got a um, Mongol and, like, a weird, fun gladiator scene opening. Uh, it's... it's it, it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, there's a there's a Power Rangers homage that I don't want to spoil that made me laugh out loud. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> Tonally, well, for- it was very different than the casting and the forge for me, and I think that's what really threw me off. It was actually a lot more fun than those two books definitely seemed to make me think it was going to be. So that I mean that speaks to a a um, generational difference because where you saw a Power Rangers reference i saw a voltron reference voltron so i mean that speaks to uh the difference here in age but no that was a very good issue so um for my case i'll be brief because i haven't honestly read a ton of comics um but a few of the highlights that i read i'm woefully behind so i'm catching up on a lot of stuff finally just read killer be killed number 11 issue 12 of course comes out this week so i you know got in just under the wire i guess um what can you say about this book it's perfect brubaker and phillips are two of the best doing it right now. And they're always surprising me with the tricks they have up their sleeve. And this, this book is a a testament to that. 
Um, yes, yes, very absolutely. Good, very, very good book. Uh, Future Quest Presents Space Ghost number one. I had no idea this book even existed until it showed up in my pull box a what? couple weeks ago. No. <laughs> it is a Space Ghost-themed uh, Future Quest book written by Jeff Parker with art by Ariel Olivetti, who, of course, his art style is about as different from uh, Doc Shaner's as you can get. But... Yeah. Ariel Olivetti is great at drawing aliens in spaceships. So a Space Ghost book makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. This was a lot of fun. And it if you didn't read the Future Quest series, you can jump right now with this book because it recaps that series and gives you an origin story for Space Ghost. It's actually kind of a sad issue because it kind of talks about how Space Ghost became to be and how he lost everything. And that's why he's an avenging spirit type figure. It's a really good book. And I'm just glad to see Jeff Parker doing the stuff more. Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye number 11. That was the most recent issue, I think. Again, I'm a little behind, but Nick... I think that's right. Nick, this book gets even weirder than issue 8, so (laughs) strap in. Uh, This book is absolutely bonkers. In this issue, you actually find out where the cybernetic eye came from and how it got into Cave's head. Won't spoil it, but Ah. I absolutely love this book. It's such a weird trip and feels so different from any other book being published right now. DC or anybody else. It's such a unique book. I love it. And of course, Wild Dog. Of course. I love Wild Dog. (laughs) Wild Dog. Uh, But the biggest thing I got this week that I've been really enjoying, I'm working my way through and really savoring is Kirby 100, which is a big soft cover book published by Tomorrow's Publishing. That's the company that publishes the Jack Kirby Collector, the annual magazine that's sort of chronicling Jack Kirby's work because there's so much of it, they're always discovering new pages. Someone has to keep track of all of it. And um, for the Kirby's 100th anniversary, they published this big book called Kirby 100. And it is just that. 100 different comic creators sharing their thoughts on their favorite Jack Kirby stories. Um, it's a really fun book. It's organized chronologically, so you get a sense of Jack's career from the 40s up until the 80s. It's a who's who of contributors to this, people that worked with him, like Mike Royer and Joe Sinnott. You have people that were influenced by Kirby, like Bruce Timm, um, Brendan McCarthy, Alan Davis. I mean, just everybody. Mike Allred, Tom Scioli. Just It's a who's who of comic creators nerding out about Kirby and all their favorite stuff. It's a really fun book and definitely recommended for somebody that maybe knows of Jack Kirby's importance, but doesn't quite understand what the big deal is. I think this is a really nice look at just the breadth of his output and his influence. So really enjoying that. Is that a a manageable book of a manageable (laughs) size and a manageable price, or is it as insane as it sounds? No, it's it's a little oversized. It's about a magazine-sized book. It's a soft cover. I think you can find it. I think I ordered it on Amazon, and it was like 25 bucks, so it's not outrageous. Um, I highly recommend it. It's got a nice um, chronology of Kirby's career. Uh, Yeah, great stuff. And I like that when they get to the New Gods stuff, like eight different creators pick issue number seven of New Gods as their favorite Jack Kirby story. Because it's mine. The Pact. It's one of the best. <laughs> um, okay. Enough about Kirby for now. Awesome. More importantly, let's just talk about the week that's coming in comics and what we're excited for this week. Of course, comics will be arriving in your local comic shop on Wednesday, September 13th. So um, let's start with you, Nick. What are you excited for this week? Um, I haven't broken the rules in a while, so I figure it's about time. Uh, For me, it would be one of two things. Um, You're already going to be discussing what I was otherwise going to discuss, but (laughs) that book needs no no help or introduction. (laughs) 
Um, so for me, it's Grass Kings number seven, which of course is the introductory issue of the second arc. I'm really, really excited for this. Um, the first arc ended on a note that managed to neatly wrap up a lot of the main conflict in the town, which was, of, um, sorry, I, I guess it's not really a, a town, it's a, you know, utopia of sorts, a utopian society. Um, and that was mainly dealing with the conflict of the neighboring town, um, and the, this arc has transitioned so very well into a, into a problem that was very carefully seeded during the first arc, uh, and it's a much older, it's a potentially much more sinister problem, uh, and this one might have to do with the ut not utopian society's past. Hmm. So uh, it's it's always interesting for me to watch comics transition uh, from one arc to the second arc and sort of how do we set up the second problem and is it very deus ex machina and clunky or here's the next villain, let's roll out the next one, you know, somebody, you know, turn the lever and, you know, get the next... Uh, rogues gallery member uh, or if it's just very organic and carefully set up and sort of makes you go oh my goodness how could I forget about that and that's that's sort of how I feel about this second arc of uh, Grass Kings hmm. otherwise it would be Ninjak number zero um, this will be the last issue of Matt Kint's run on Ninjak which I believe has lasted probably two and a half years give hmm. or take um, so it's his last issue. He's handing over the reins to Christos Gage, um, who has kind of had a bit of a, I would say, a bit of a journeyman career. He's done DC work. He's done Marvel work. He's um, worked on um, Daredevil, the show, um, for Netflix. Uh, I feel it's in pretty capable hands. He's done some valiant work before with Hardcore. Um, so I'm I'm optimistic. Uh, it's going to have Tom, T Thomas Giarello on art. I feel pretty good about that, and it's kind of a nice uh, way to see Kent off and kind of have Gage come in, both on the same issue. They're both writing uh, different stories uh, within the same oversized book. So kind of a nice little passing of the torch within the same issue. So that's those are the two things I'm looking forward to. Uh, what about you, Renee? Well, since I broke the rules last time, I made sure to only do one <laughs> pick this time because uh, Mike got really bad at me. <laughs> so uh, well, Mike's not here this week, so anything goes. Well, well, I only came prepared <laughs> for one, so okay. Um, but my pick is uh, Haikyuu Volume Fifteen by Haruichi Furudate. It's a manga. Who could have seen this coming? <laughs> um, it's a volleyball manga, and it's really it's really interesting as lame as that sounds it's super super interesting and the art is fantastic i would say literally pick up this manga just for the incredible angles and just the art of of just the sport it's so thrilling and it gets you pumped especially if you've ever been in sports you get that same sort of feeling and uh volume 15 is there um right in the middle of a really big qualifier tournament to see who's going to go to nationals, which if you've read any sports manga, it's a really big thing, but it's not even, you're not even following the main team in this volume. It's two of their biggest enemies seeing who they're going to face in the semifinal, either uh, this school called Date Tech or this one called Aoba Josai or Blue Castle, which really threw me. <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I watched the I watched the anime first and then started reading it. And so I was used to them saying Elba Josai. And then suddenly in the book, they're like, oh, yeah, Blue Castle. And I'm like, who is Blue Castle? I don't remember <laughs> these, this person at all. 
But that match is really, really good, and it's it's a really again the art is absolutely insane. And um, I know it's it's like 15 volumes in, but even just pick up the first volume, it's really good. But if you've heard of this series, and if you're reading it, this volume is absolutely one of it's got one of the best matches in the series. Just in it, and it came out. Honestly, last these week. manga things like my my favorite thing. Hearing you and Mike talk about this, Renee, uh, are these these manga series where it's like they're redefining what it means to be like a niche series. It's like, what's this one about? This one's volleyball. What's this one about? This one is about um, using a power sander with one hundred grit sandpaper. <laughs> is that what this is about? Yeah, that's what this one's about. Next week, it's going to be about um, cuisine dishes that only use celery. These, I mean, uh, the, it's like <laughs> these things are also like hyper. Like, I feel like the like the like the niche of these books is like what things do people not give a shit about, and we are going to like do a deep dive, like a <laughs> major deep dive, until you care. And it's it's weird because for me, that's massively interesting when you're mm-hmm. dealing with it's like this is something you don't give a shit about on a day-to-day process you know like this is this, what's this book about um competitive shoe tying really <laughs> yeah it's a thing and uh we're gonna do seven arcs and no i mean it's i i i find that massively interesting all things yeah, aside it's fascinating you know, that they're yeah. so hyper focused it's actually really funny that you mention that because there is a series called behind the scenes oh no renee that's oh, no. literally oh, no. it's literally about like um people that do set design in college and they're learning how to do it you reminded me of this because of the sandpaper thing because it's all about <laughs> these people that are good at crafting God, that's great <laughs> that's so great yeah and and there when, is when mike told me about the manga that's about making manga mm-hmm. i was like all right we're there <laughs> oh that that's, one's so yeah. good though that's one of my favorites that's so good and actually one of the one of the first manga i ever read is called hikaru no go and it's about this kid that ends up becoming a professional go player which is this really wow. old japanese go game. is like the board game right yeah, yeah like the, the chess like, variation looks kind of like chinese checkers maybe yeah it's it's like no, this is one with the blue black and white pe- well i guess they're, that's they're, chess too Nick. they're Jesus. black and white stones it's a capturing stones yeah. game it's one of the oldest strategy games and it was invented in china but it's popular in japan and korea as well and um, i just realized i've been playing the tomb raider go basically they did tomb raider go for the phone or whatever and it's i'm just only very stupidly recognizing now that it's clearly based on what you were jesus okay (laughs) moment of truth on the air anyway that embarrassing reveal aside um paul let's talk about the other book that i'm actually super psyched for yeah i mean this is one of those weeks where there's a ton of awesome books coming out so it's hard to pick just one but i'm gonna go against my my gut of picking Mr. Miracle number two and pick Dark Knight's Metal number two mm-hmm. by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo just because it's a bonkers over the top superhero comic and that's totally my jam, which we'll talk about more about later this episode why that's my jam. But I love that this book, this big DC event, it feels like an event and I never really thought I'd be nostalgic for 90s style comic book events, but that's totally what this book is doing for me. That's the itch it's scratching. You have the Justice League tracking down a sort of ancient mystery that's haunted the DC universe. Um, as we mentioned in episode issue one, there is a Voltron-esque assemblage of the Justice League that has to fight Mongol, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, you have all sorts of deep 
divey, nerdy references to DC continuity. Again, that's totally my jam. And it's Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. I mean, that is, in terms of creative teams, that's one of the best and biggest names going right now. So it has that special feel to it, and I'm really, really enjoying that. And I have no I idea. Oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Paul. I have no idea what's in store for this book, and I think that's what's making it exciting as well. The weirdest thing for me about it that I forgot to mention earlier is that it actually ties in All Star Batman. Uh, I didn't. I didn't think it was going to. I thought that book was so totally isolated all by itself, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, see, see, second arc of All Star Batman issues six through. 12 or whatever and i was like wow yeah i mean it is interesting just how much scott snyder is reaching back to his batman run you know from the new 52 and pulling stuff out and tying up those loose ends of which there were more than i remembered (laughs) and incorporating into this book it sounds like a backhanded compliment but this is my favorite scott snyder because it's kind of grant morrison light and i don't mean that as a put down i think scott snyder has his own style that i totally like he's not aping or trying to mimic grant morrison but when he took over Batman, he was using a lot of the same concepts and ideas that Graham Morrison did, but just doing his take on it. And I really feel that this book is the same thing, where I never really liked American Vampire. I never really, I didn't like yeah. witches as much as everyone else did. But this is Scott <laughs> Snyder is my jam. And it's just, I love the over-the-top geekiness of it and the willingness to just go anywhere the story demands and just explore these corners of the DC universe that I haven't seen in a while. So I'm really, really enjoying this series. I think it's going to be really special by the time it's all wrapped up. So this week on the show, we're going to be talking about the topic of sort of what your childhood interests were in terms of literary interests, media interests, um, the sort of uh, things that you were really, you know, paying attention to or, or found um, engaging as a kid, uh, and more specifically, and to bring things back to comics and to bring things back to modern day, uh, how you think that affects the sort of books you read, or more specifically, obviously, um, the comics that you find interesting. Is there sort of a direct link to reading uh, works about the same uh, franchises or people as a kid, or perhaps uh, is there like more of a kind of interesting disconnect, or is it, you know, were you reading comics as a kid? Were you not? Was that something you were allowed to do? Was that something you wanted to, but you couldn't? And just sort of looking at how that shaped you down the way, down the road. So now that I've turned (laughs) this into a real blanket statement of a blanket statement um <laughs> let's just let's just let the <laughs> let's just let the anecdotes fly here yeah paul jaceley uh <laughs> rescue me from the clutches well, of whatever this is what, you know, what i think is interesting is being on the show and listening to the show and talking to the people that are into comics how many comics readers nowadays discover comics or get into comics when they're in their late teens or in college and for right. someone like me I've always read comics, and they've just always been something that I was interested in since I was a kid. And I think that's, again, a sort of a generational divide where it's previous generations, comics were always seen as more of like a childhood or childish 
thing, not to be negative or, you know, a pejorative sense, but they're always something that you, you read as a kid and then you either grow out of or you don't. Whereas nowadays... It's like a stepping stone. Yeah. Whereas like nowadays, yeah. I think more and more people are discovering comics later in life and therefore the comics that they enjoy tend to be different. A lot of people and people on this show don't read a ton of superhero comics because that's not what they started with. And for me personally, I liked superheroes before I even read a comic book. The very earliest memories I have are of... You know, the action figures I had, the Kenner Superpowers action figures and the mini comics that came with those, watching the Superpowers cartoon, seeing Darkseid on the cartoon, and then later, when I was a little bit older, discovering all those characters had their own comic series. So my introduction was superheroes first into comics, where I feel that's less common with a lot of newer readers. Yeah, I, I, I think you're completely right. I mean, I know that they still talk regularly about how the average the average age of a comic book reader is, is what? It's probably like 36 at this point. It's yeah. something like that. Yeah. And I think that is changing. Uh, I think, uh, you know, time will tell. But I, I do believe you're completely right. Uh, comic book readers, by and large, you know, newer comic book readers are... Um, sorry, let me rephrase that. I think there are a lot of people that are coming to comics now regardless mm-hmm. of their age you know whether it's it's something you know a kid that's sort of being brought up in it or or someone like myself who in the grand scheme of things you know comics is still sort of a, a more recent seven eight years thing mm-hmm. for me and of course i think a lot of that has to do with just accessibility right i mean yeah right. when i was growing up um most of my exposure to comics was that the local supermarket store had the you know revolving rotating rack mm-hmm. you know and that was that, that was pretty much it if you if you lived in a smaller town um you probably didn't have a store that was dedicated to comics and if we're talking about going far enough back in time as ancient as i am before the heyday of the internet, you know, you weren't you weren't going to get a digital copy. You weren't going to get a PDF. Comicsology was not a thing. So you pretty much had this grocery store option, and and even then you couldn't probably get that involved because it was always a huge you know risk if you really got involved in comics. You know, next month are they going to order? You know, continue to order this book or not? Yeah. So there was always the risk of uh, missing the next chapter, missing the next issue because. There was no pull lists. I mean, my very earliest comic book memories were buying issues off the stand at the supermarket. And it's like, I didn't even make, didn't even think of them as being continuing stories. I just would buy a comic and read it over and over again for a couple months and then buy another one. You know what I mean? It wasn't until <laughs> yeah, later that you yeah, figure yeah, all yeah. that stuff out. I think, again, nowadays it's so different for a lot of people. And I think that's what makes this kind of interesting topic is where did, what books do you read now? And was that influenced by something other than early exposure to comics? Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. What What about you, Renee? Were you reading at a young age, or, or I mean, I I mean, I guess were you reading comics at a young age, or or what What were you reading? Well, I mean, I guess it was it's kind of like what you guys said. Like it's really it was really hard to find continuous comics. Instead, you're sort of doing like the Flash Gordon episode guide of comic book reading, where it's you're just picking up <laughs> random episodes of different series. But um. I started reading comics because I, I'm the youngest of five, so my brothers, okay. my brothers all got um, toys and comic books and you know VHS tapes of old comic book shows from like other family members years before I was even born, 
And then uh, I, I also grew up in California, so we would go to swap meets all the time, and we'd find, you know, different comics, and, and we'd pick them up and buy them for, like, you know, a cent, and they're, like, falling apart and stuff like that. So... Sure. And my, my oldest brother, Eric, who uh, is eight years older than me, when I was, like, six, he was in middle school or something like that, he actually had a Wizard Comics um, subscription. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So oh. you could find out okay. what was going on currently in the comics from Wizard. In the, in the back, they would tell you yeah. what was happening, and they also had, like, previews and stuff like that. So... I did read comics, but not. I would. It was just like the precious few that we had, and I would read the Wizard magazines that we would get over and over again. And uh, and the thing was, apparently, this is something I only found out recently. Is I was the only one that read them because a lot of my other brothers <laughs> don't like to read. They just like to look at their pictures and never actually read what was going on in the story. <laughs> sure. Sure, sure. So uh, eventually, those the, that's still true of a lot of people reading comics these days. <laughs> yeah, uh, eventually, all these comics would, would become mine uh, because I would read them over and over again. I'd keep asking them for, for like, "Hey, can I borrow your comic book? I want to read it again." And they would be like, "You know what, dude? It's fine. It's yours." And then uh, I think there was like one Christmas, my brother bought me my own comic book. It was like the first one that was mine. It was uh, Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Issue 18 or 19, and I still remember it. I found it in a comic book shop not that long ago, and I freaked out because I remembered the cover, and I was like, I know exactly what's going on here. <laughs> He's like, Sir, if you want to buy the comic, you're just going to need to buy the comic. Quit standing around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Childhood nostalgia be damned if right. you're not going to buy something. Uh, yeah. um, I've seen the library. Buy it or get out. Yeah, so. yeah I, think, I yeah. didn't yeah. even know. I didn't even know that comics were in libraries until. I was in college, and like someone in the comic book club told me, they're like, "Oh yeah, I read comics at my library all the time." And I was like, "You what? <laughs> yeah, you lying sack of shit." I was shit. like, "That's a thing." <laughs> I was like, "I used to hang out at the library. I never saw that." And, um, <laughs> yeah, back in the day, libraries used to be an institution of learning. Now it's comic books <laughs> and computers. It's like uh, we got to be relevant. No, you don't. Just old leather bound books, and that's what that's that's what people <laughs> want. Okay. Um, no, that's that's interesting because I, I think you're completely right. When I was growing up and, and I went to the library a lot and participated in my fair share of those summer library reading contests, um, yeah, like comic books at the library was basically, do you want a collected book of Dilbert comic book strips or do right. you want a collected book of Garfield or, comic or Calvin strips? and Hobbes? <laughs> um, Cal- yeah. Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, <laughs> My 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 mainstay family circus keeping it real. Um. <laughs> no, I mean so yeah. Speaking of Calvin and Hobbes, it's actually kind of interesting because I remember being a kid and really liking Calvin and Hobbes. You know, every Sunday they'd have the big oversized you know edition of it, where yeah. Bill Watterson could just go nuts and do whatever he wanted. And then I had the well worn, dog eared copies of the collections, and that right. was the first time I remember really thinking about how cartooning works the panel to panel transition noticing different art styles and that was like the first time i really thought about comics as an art form which i think you know related back to this topic influences the way i think about comics now where i really try to notice that stuff and see what's going on it all traces back to just spending sunday afternoons pouring over uh calvin hobbs and seeing all that stuff played out that way um, I noticed that more in that than I did comic books at the time because I was reading comics in the 80s and 90s and they weren't great. 
<laughs> you know, especially the stuff I was right. reading. But so I, I'm definitely Calvin Hobbes, oddly enough, is a big influence on not just the kind of comics I read, but what I look for when I'm reading comics these days. Yeah, no, I, I think Calvin and Hobbes is a great example. And I think it's something that a lot of us were um, reading at a younger age. And yeah, there's there's something about it. And it's kind of ineffable. I don't know. I guess if you got around to it, you could probably get at it. There's something about it that kind of transcends your usual day-to-day strip. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was something that removed it from, from a lot of that other stuff, largely, in terms of style, in terms of you know the risks it was willing to take, and the whole Spaceman Spiff thing. And like you yeah. said, I mean, there was just a whole spectrum of, of different styles. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I started with a lot of those trades, a lot of those collections. Um, and then in terms of, like, getting, like, singles when I was a kid... Um, that was pretty much just restricted to like Star Wars comics. Usually, what would happen is whenever I was sick and my dad would go to to get the you know to get the medicine and to get the, the ginger ale or whatever and had a flu or a cold <laughs> or whatnot. Usually, he'd be like, "And I need to make a connection with my son on a capitalist friendly level. Let's buy him a comic." Um, <laughs> I'm 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 kidding. My dad and I have a great relationship. Uh, he's yeah. Um, and so <laughs> now it sounds like I don't know. Um, so shadows of the empire number five, <laughs> sorry, dad, just kidding. You don't listen. You're unsupportive. No, I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think we'd get Nick, this Nick deep White's into family drama unfolds. Oh my God. Yeah, I didn't think we'd get that, this, Paul? this deep on this episode. So yeah, that's what happens when you, talk, you bring up childhood. Yeah, yeah. Secrets yeah, going exactly, exactly. Skeletons rolling out the closet. <laughs> yeah, at least all the other people that want to talk about my childhood, I'm paying them. Okay, right. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> but so yeah, I, I read Shadows of the Empire, and it was number five. And for those who don't know or aren't in the know on on sort of where Star Wars was in the early '90s, um, you know, following Return of the Jedi, there really wasn't that much. Like there was nothing in the Star Wars universe going on, really. Um, until uh, Timothy Zahn wrote his, I think it was called Heir to the Force trilogy in the early the 90s. Heir to the Empire. Slowly people, Heir mm-hmm. to the Empire, right. And people were like, holy cow, you know, these books, they weren't the best thing ever, but, you know, there was like, holy shit, you know, there is an audience for Star Wars seven, eight years after Return of the Jedi. And eventually they did this thing called Shadows of the Empire, which was this kind of multimedia thing. It had a video game, it had a comic book series, um, it had a novelization. And so, um, you know, I, I've really fond memories of that comic, which basically tried to fill the gap between um, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And it kind of got my mind thinking about basically about how canon works and, you know, okay, so I've seen Empire Strikes Back and I've seen Return of the Jedi. And so this happens in between. So like Han Solo's in Carbonite and that's why I'm not seeing him in the story and mm-hmm. sort of looking at how all of the pieces fall into place which is sort of like such a subconscious thing when you're dealing with like modern comics and whatnot about you know canon and you know canon must work and it has everything has to fit together and um obviously canon was such a huge part of uh, and is still to this day a huge part of of star wars and they they are like they have like two dedicated people whose only jobs are to look at all of the star star wars product going out and make sure everything lines up right and so you know, it really got me thinking about um, canon in a way that, you know, as I read comics now, um, 
even though I wasn't reading comics that much as a kid, it's it's so second nature now, you mm-hmm. know, because that's how you analyze things and and piece together all these different narratives that are coming from all these different multi you know multimedia approaches. Yeah, but they're still telling this one grand story, you know. Yeah, that that's really interesting because you know, I'll, for me again, I I knew about superheroes and I always had superhero stuff around, so that's kind of why I got into comics, but. My experience of reading a lot of early books, I still have the very first picture books I ever had as a kid, and they're about Superman. Um, and there's four of them. There's How Superman Came to Earth, The Adventures of Super Baby, When Super Boy, Superman Was Super Boy, <laughs> Superman in Metropolis. There's these little tiny books. They're illustrated by Ramona Fraden, so I've always had a soft spot for her artwork. And there's images in these books that are just burned into my, my brain, and they always will be, because I spent hours poring over them. But... Reading those books, playing with the superpowers action figures, so the Kenner superpowers, which were based on the Jack Kirby Fourth World stuff, I always had that stuff around, and I was mesmerized by the the details of the characters, like figuring out what whose alter ego was who, how they're related to each other, what their weaknesses were, what their powers were. I was just fascinated by all that, and by the time I was old enough, because this this is like eighty four, eighty three, eighty four, eighty five, by the time I was okay. old enough to read comics. Uh, crisis on infinite earths had happened and all that had changed, you know? So I'm trying to read comics like, wait, these characters aren't what I remember at all. So it's kind of this weird learning curve to try to like keep up with all that. So that's why still one of my favorite Batman stories is, uh, untold tale, untold legend of the dark Knight or untold legend of Batman, because I read that book over and over and over again. And I memorized all of the pre-crisis details of Batman. And then when I was old enough to read comics and to see the Batman movie, in 1989, it was all different than what I remembered. And I was kind of fascinated by that. That comics changed, the characters changed over time. That's See, that's really interesting to me because I can see someone as a kid, like that moment happens and you're like, well, what the fuck? All of this was for nothing? <laughs> well, like, what yeah. the hell? No, like, but, who's it, this guy? What's going on? But, you know, yeah. you, you dug into it, which, yeah. you know. And that's why, you know, I hinted at it earlier in this episode, that's the, why a big DC event like metal really scratches an itch for me because it is a deep dive in continuity. And that's kind of what I fell in love with first was DC comics and the characters before I even read a single issue of their comics. Definitely. Definitely. Were you guys reading other things as, as kids that you think sort of shaped or influenced the sort of comic books you read now or, Hmm. um, or is there anything? Yeah. Um, so, like I said, uh, I, ca- I came from a, a family of five, and uh, we actually became known at my school as the comic book family because we knew everything. But it wasn't because it wasn't because <laughs> we had all the comics. But we did this grocery that grocery store thing where we'd go and we'd read the comics, and we would actually buy the collectible cards, the Marvel Metal cards from back. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember those. But they had oh, yeah. all those different collectible cards that would tell you the whole storylines and all the different things on the back of the card. And we bought like every single one of those. And we definitely got them <laughs> around somewhere. So we knew we knew everything, like from the original Clone <laughs> Saga to uh, the Infinity, Infinity Stones and Crisis on Infinite Earths, so all that. And uh, hmm. so we knew, we knew everything because of these, these Marvel Metal cards. And so I, I would say that really kept us in the loop with everything that happened. And uh, we're actually still kind of upset about 
because Marvel, I don't know if you guys know this, but Marvel changed the uh, power level rating system that they used to have on the Marvel oh, really? metal cards. Oh, these, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> like, I think Spider-Man's like now the strength of two or something like that. We're like, bull, he is the strength of <laughs> yeah. four. What is this and they brought his intel. <laughs> they brought his intelligence down to like level five. We're like, uh, his intelligence is seven. He is smarter than Tony Stark and he's on par with Reed Richards. You're telling me that he's down two levels? Uh, screw you. Whatever. <laughs> I was like, I don't. So half the time people are like, because uh, my friends still ask me because they refuse to read comics. They're like, who's stronger than who? And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go based off of the 1997 Marvel Metal Card system because the new system's yeah, bogus. Yeah. Hold on. Are you are you talking 97 Marvel Card power levels or are you going? It doesn't yeah, even no. matter anymore. I just That's what I go by because it makes the most sense. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. like now, if you look at it on the Marvel like website, it's so much crap. It doesn't make any sense because you're like, no, <laughs> you can't be strength of two and be able to pick up a tank. Get get out of here. So right. uh, yeah. please quantify this strength level with a you know pound you know pounds per square inch pressure you know <laughs> measurement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that that stuff is so funny. They they, yeah. they got really scientific with it. Although I never understood the energy blast one. Well, they had to look at their fan base. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like Magneto had energy blast level of seven. And it's like, he's just the master of magnetism. He doesn't actually shoot any blasts. But I guess if you look at the uh, cartoon series, he's, so he's shooting out some purple ray or something. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that's kind of interesting because nowadays people com- some people complain about there being a saturation of superhero media with all the movies coming out. But right. when I was a kid, like there was just as much stuff. It was just on Saturday morning cartoons with the X-Men cartoon, Batman the Animated Series, <laughs> Uh, all that stuff. And in the movies, I mean, there was Dick Tracy movies, Phantom movies, The Shadow. There were so many superhero movies that came out when I was a kid. It's never really changed. The biggest difference now is they're they're actually big budget, enjoyable films. Oh, are you um, telling me you don't enjoy The Shadow or The Phantom? <laughs> I, You know, it's been a while. I still have fond memories of The Rocketeer. That's one I think might hold the up. Rocketeer, the Rocketeer was fantastic. I, watched, I rewatched The Phantom back in college one summer, mm-hmm. and... Why can't you be cool like your friend Billy exactly. Zane? Exactly. <laughs> I was like, Billy Zane is way too cool in this movie. But at the same time, I'm like, this movie is terrible, but I love it so much. <laughs> and Alec Baldwin as the shadow. Come on. Tim, yeah. Tim Curry's yeah. randomly in that movie, too. It's so weird. It's Yeah, it's so bizarre that all those movies got made at the same time. Somebody got a hold of those that copyright and was able to make Dick Tracy and those movies all at the same time. And they all tried to look like the Tim Burton Batman movie, yeah. if I remember correctly. Wasn't, Ma- so. wasn't Madonna like the bad guy in Dick Tracy? Dick Tracy, yeah. Spoiler alerts for a 30-year-old movie or whatever, 25-year-old movie. <laughs> but yes, Dick the, Tracy, turns out Dick the Tracy, bad guy is... Dick Tracy. My brother still <laughs> shouts that at me like in the middle of the hallway. <laughs> That's oh, so interesting. Yeah, that that permeation of the culture has always existed. I mean, so speaking of like what I'm reading nowadays, like I think that obviously DC Comics are still my favorite thing because of that childhood connection. But being a fan of Star Wars as a kid and being a fan of sci-fi as a kid, I'm always kind of attracted to that stuff. I still like that stuff in comics. And yeah, I, I, I can't really speak to anything else that's really... I can trace back and point to this is why I read, you know, Killer Be Killed, or this is why I read Paper Girls, other than being interested in comic books as an art form as a young kid, as I mentioned with the Calvin Hobbes connection. 
So as far as other genre stuff, I don't see as close of a connection for me personally. But I mean, what about you, Nick? I feel like maybe you have a closer connection to genre stuff that you like as a kid and now. Yeah, well, I mean, most of what I was reading as a kid was like a lot of science fiction and fantasy stuff. So I was reading like The Golden Compass and uh, all of those Wizard of Oz books. I mean, for those people who don't know, there were a lot. There's a ton of them. There's, it's unbelievable how many there are. Um, things like that, things like uh, Harry Potter. Uh, for those wondering, yes, uh, I, I got in the, I got in on that before it was trendy. Um my uh, my first volume of Harry Potter does not have that little square on the spine with the little number in it. So, you know, <laughs> don't at me. Uh, I'm serious. And He's been uh, down since um, day one with Harry Potter. Yes, yeah, since day one. Except when that book got left out in the rain when it got lent to my grandpa. So so those of you who are looking to come over here and, and uh, permanently borrow that book, it's too late. It's gone. Um, <laughs> that being said... Um, I think what's interesting for me is that for being someone who didn't necessarily have a, a, a super shel- sheltered childhood, but kind of grew up as as the kid of of two um, elementary school teachers, you know, there was a big push for like obviously reading, just reading, and you know, they weren't like you need to read. Uh, Treasure Island, and then Lord of the Flies, and then we're going to go find whatever the f- fucking rest of the Criterion collection of books would be. <laughs> um, you know, they were just like, uh, he's reading. That's all that matters for the most part. Um, but, you know, I certainly wasn't, you know, like I said, I wasn't reading a lot of comics, and I wasn't watching a lot of, um, a ton of cartoons as a kid. So I, I think, you know, what's interesting is a lot of the things that interest me now probably can go back to certain things that I really didn't take a look at or didn't take a crack at when I was a kid. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had a, I had a terribly, awfully uh, vivid imagination. So anything scary was like, no bueno, <laughs> like completely. Like I didn't even need to open the cover of the Goosebump books. Like I knew it was bad news bears. Like <laughs> sure. they're like, look, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, my God, what are those things called? Like it's, it's a dummy, oh, you know, I, it's, it's the little dummy oh, in the I tuxedo, you know, night of the living dummy or whatever that thing was called. And I was like, who even fucking opens this book? Look at that thing. <laughs> Why would you do that? And then they did like choose your own adventure goosebumps. And I was like, are you fucking insane? Like, why don't you just go into your bathroom and, you know, say Biggie Smalls three times into the mirror and just see what happens, okay? Um, but so a lot of things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah. things like that, a lot of those early franchise properties, you know, I wasn't really uh, interested in them at the time. Um, but now I'm sort of like, well, let's, let's take a look at what I missed out on. And what's, what's interesting is that the fan base and and the people, you know, the other respective people that are working on that or are interested in that, you know, they've kind of grown up too. And so it's very weird to sort of have this, have my main exposure to these things be these people that have like sort of grown up and curated their own experience with it. And Mm -hmm. I'm kind of seeing it through that lens, which is kind of fascinating. Um, 
so there's there's a lot of that but like i said horror is another really interesting thing that just no bueno as a kid you know mm-hmm. uh not gonna happen i still remembered like they had those books it was like scary stories for kids or whatever and they had that black frame around the front cover yeah and yeah. i think rl stein worked on those and one of them was that story i'm sure you've all heard it with like with the girl who's got the ribbon around her neck and everyone's like oh why do you wear the ribbon around your neck or whatever and then on the last page like she's old or whatever and takes off the ribbon and her head falls off and i was like that's it childhood ruined that's it that's it please just look look i've i've made the call you need to take me to therapy this exact moment because this is it like we are done i saw dr phil this is bad okay um so horror is something that i'm like really into now and things like the alien movies and mm-hmm. and things like um harrow county and and uh and books like that and it's like i would have never been into that as a kid yeah. and and maybe it's just me trying to engage in like exposure therapy now as an adult but um uh, but otherwise like science fiction books i'm still really big into science fiction no different than star wars when i was yeah. a kid uh, i still take interest in the star wars comics but i'm not digging them i think as much as some people are but uh no it's 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 really interesting to see what books i can sort of directly trace to those literature interests as Mm -hmm. well as sort of you know what i thought was boring or or what i thought was stupid then and now i'm like well let's let's just take a second glance because of course the 80s is is now anyway so (laughs) yeah it's it's coming back it's kind of interesting though to kind of see things that you maybe you're reading, but you don't have a nostalgia for. You're just kind of enjoying it in the moment. Whereas for me, it's like I don't have a big interest in current Ninja Turtles comics because I did that. No, I I went through my Ninja Turtles phase, you know, and I went through right, my Star Wars right. phase. I love Star Wars, but in my mind, it's always if it didn't happen on the silver screen, it's not canon. I have that sort of thing, right? Right. Because that's for me. That's as a kid, like that's what Star Wars was. It was the movies, and I have very little interest in stuff outside of that. You know, whereas DC superheroes, that's always been that connection to the comics for me. Right. So it's sort of like your your ability to engage with an extended universe really depends upon how you your, sort of engaged with it at first. Yeah, your you know first I mean? exposure to it. Yeah. Right, right. I think that's definitely true. Um I, I think I think I'm very lucky because I don't actually have a problem with extended universes or anything like that. It just it literally mm-hmm. becomes this point because there was such this long time where it was just grab whatever comics type thing that you can that's around uh, because I had that for so long. By the time that I actually yeah. had money, like when I was in middle school, I would scrape up like a dollar or two from like change around the house or do it or like walking my aunt's dog or something like that. There was this comic store that was open for like maybe a year or two down the road from my house and I would just go in and grab whatever looked interesting. And if <laughs> and if it was interesting, I would try to find the next issue and never find it. But I would just read that, like uh, Paul was saying, I would just read that one issue over and over and over again. But I think that helped because by the time I was in high school and got back into comics and <laughs> I had all this money to spend, I it was like, you know what? I'm just going to peruse until I find a cover or a story that really sucks me in and yeah. I'm going to go with that. And when I got back into comics, I did stick with all the superheroes that I knew. Like I didn't go into Transformers and GI Joes, even though that was happening. <laughs> I went, right. I went for Spider-Man because Spider-Man was my favorite superhero. Um, and, uh, yeah. and also cause of the Spider-Man TV show. And then I also went for Green mm-hmm. Lantern because Kyle Rayner was the coolest 
person <laughs> ever back in like 1998. So I picked yes. up Green Lantern because of that, and then only, and then I also picked up Superman because I love Superman because of Christopher Reeves and all that. So I stayed in yep. in superhero comics for the longest time, and it wasn't until like halfway through my college experience that I actually started getting into independent comics, and that was just because everyone was telling me these are really good stories, these are really good stories, and I was like. I'm always down for a good story. I, you know, and so I think I think I'm very fortunate that way cuz I'll still pick up random books and and this is also where it comes in to the manga thing cuz I'll read any manga, I'll give it any ch- sort of chance as long as that basic plot summary sounds at least somewhat interesting. But that's also a double-edged sword cuz then I have to read like a million different series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. 400 <laughs> volumes, yeah. I, yeah. It's no, ridiculous. That's, that's, that's interesting to see how that sort of functions as how, how one gets their sort of anchor back into, you know, coming back into comics in modern day. You know, like Paul said, you know, he had already started, and so he just naturally... At the very least, when you when you got back in, like your your anchor point was just DC again, right, Paul? Yeah. That was just sort of your like, this is where I'm going to yeah. start because I, I I know this, it, and yeah, it's so weird because I remember being a kid and really like liking comics and reading all the DC stuff, and then there was a certain point because I had a subscription to Wizard magazine too, so I was reading all that Wizard stuff and trying to I would buy the random issues of X Men because they were supposed to be cool and never really getting it, um, but. It actually, at a pretty young age, as like a you know early teenager, I kind of got tapped out on all the big event stuff going on in superhero comics, and started reading weirder stuff like Bone or Madman, and reading some Dark Horse stuff as kind of a teenager, which is I kind of faded out of the superhero stuff. So when I came back into reading comics in graduate school, which I think was like I think it was like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Final Crisis was going on. So I'm like, all right, here's a big DC event. I know Grant Morrison's a good writer because I remember reading his JLA run when it was happening. So that yeah. was my entry point back in. And that was kind of a perfect thing because it was that same experience of my childhood of saying, okay, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I want to find out who all these characters are, how they're connected, how it ties into the bigger DC multiverse. So it was a very sort of nostalgic experience to dive back in with Final Crisis and relive that same excitement I had as a kid of just rereading issues over and over again and figuring out who these people were. And that's that's so interesting because that's so different from a lot of modern people that are getting into comics now where, especially if, if your entry point is someone who's been reading comics for a while, your entry point might be, I don't know, um, Saga yeah. or, or, or Walking Dead or something like that. And so you just kind of skip the whole big two thing altogether yeah. and i'd be I, I would love to know how many of those people have actually genuinely never ever delved into the whole big two experience with all of the all of the benefits and all of the uh, <laughs> uh negatives that come with that yeah. so that's that's interesting to me i mean um, yeah i gotta say being a being someone who remembers when image comics started it's fascinating to me when i came back into comics and seeing what image was in the mid right. you know 2000s and it's no longer the darkness and spawn. Yeah, I just, exactly. I just remember Because when spawn. I was a kid, that's how I... Spawn. <laughs> or as I call blood. it, the good days. No, I'm just <laughs> the kidding. Good, the good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in my mind, I always had that thing where it's like, oh yeah, Image, that's where Rob Liefeld is doing his weird X-Men ripoffs, like young That's blood, where people you know. are edgy as fuck, because <laughs> they're renegades and rebels, and uh, yeah. everyone just wishes they could be Image Comics sitting over in the corner smoking a cigarette and wearing the leather jacket. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I, I remember reading a lot of Gen 13 and no one really remembers that. Oh, book. God. The early image books. I had a ton of issues and I've just recently found old back issues of that and started reading them again. And it's hasn't aged well. But there's something about I remember being like a 13 year old boy and reading those comics and having a connection to them for certain reasons. Um, and it's just uh-huh. weird to go back as a 35 year old and say, boy, that's really weird that I was into this stuff. So, <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. No, I remember I used to go into a comic book shop uh, that was a hobby store, which is where I got my Star Wars kids cards as a kid. And I would always just browse the comics when I was bored and waiting for my dad to finish up his guitar lesson down the street and i still remember like this was when all of like the darkness and all of the witchblade stuff was going <laughs> coming out yeah and it was that moment when you're like uh, like a 10 year old kid and you're just staring at this stuff and you're like something is weird and wrong about all of this but i really <laughs> can't explain it i'll just leave this for 20 years from now when i have to explain it to a you know professional adult so <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, I, I guess that's that's the um, co- comics are weird and um, we're old <laughs> and uh, nostalgia is a very very dangerous double edged sword that you uh, should uh, you know en- engage with carefully and cautiously because uh, yeah 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 it's it's interesting to to see how how influential those early influences are those early moments I mean. I can definitely trace my social and political uh, viewpoints to reading Mad Magazine when I was way too young to be reading Mad Magazine. So, oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, that's a whole other topic. But yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I, I feel like all of us on the show right now kind of have a, at least a some childhood connection to comic books. I'd be curious to hear anybody that's listened to the show and wants to share it with us their experience of being a uh, someone at college age. A new fan or someone that be discovered comics through not the big two. That's so fascinating to me to that, that other aspect of it, that other approach. Yeah, definitely. So if you're, if you're listening to the show, you know, um, send us an email, uh, hit us up on Twitter, you know, let us know what you were, were you reading as a kid? Were you reading comics? Were you not reading comics at all? Um, are you someone who's gotten back into comics now, or is this something you've just been doing your whole life? Because you can't get enough Aquaman forever and forever. Uh, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Just don't forget, at one point, he had a hook And a sword. He had a sword at forget. one point. Um, yeah. A, so- a yeah, sword. Yeah, he had a sword. Cause, Underwater. Because Superboy Prime... What was it, what was it made I don't of? Remember. Superboy Prime had a huge problem with the sword in um, during, like I think it was infinite crisis or sinestro core war yeah because he beats the living crap out of aquaman and his only like response he goes aquaman's not supposed to have a sword wow <laughs> and it's fantastic because he's great. like literally beating people to death and you're he's like that's the thing he's focused on you're a psycho <laughs> i feel like for a while Aqu- the aquaman philosophy was why not just why not <laughs> it's thrown it can't get things any worse than they I, are just, so just throw it at the not? wall and see what sticks i still i mean that's a lot that's a lot i still of love in brightest day when black manta cuts his hand off again after he's just gotten it back <laughs> and he goes you should be used to that and i was like that is savage oh my god that's, that's a deep cut get it oh okay well on that note i will leave our listeners with a mission uh, if you really want to know how bad Aquaman got, just go ahead, uh, hop on the Googles, and look up Aquaman's blue suit. 
Okay, I right. think it's what he had in the 80s. If you really want to see the depths of depravity, go look up his blue suit. Um, <laughs> it will change your life forever. If you want to go deep sea uh, diving for Aquaman. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. We got to cut this out. Okay. Yeah. Enough with the pun. So, <laughs> Nick, you mentioned Twitter. And again, readers or listeners... <laughs> both probably uh, if you want to hit us up on twitter you can find us at ircb podcast we're on there posting and sharing there's usually a poll every week that mike writes and it's usually x-men related so if that's your jam you can check that out you can follow me on twitter at oh hi Polly. that's o-h-h-i-p-a-u-l-i-e uh nick i can never remember your twitter handle so you have to tell the listeners yeah it's uh it's death star plans d-e-t-h uh, star is fully spelled out and then P-L-N-Z I'm pretty certain, even I might have gotten it wrong there's a real easy solution to this guys just go to the IRCB Twitter page we're all uh, on there all the yeah. time and just, uh, just go ahead and connect with us that way I suppose. What about you Renee? What's your, uh, what's your handle there on Twitter? My handle is actually very simple, it's Rodriguer29 <laughs> It's my last name. Perfect. Well, God bless you for for making this. Well, it's easy it's it's just it was it was the password from like my middle or no, it was my username from computer class in middle school. Careful, Renee. Like, wasn't the password? <laughs> well, it was my it's my current password for my. Uh, no, it's 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 and, uh, not. <laughs> shit. I said it wrong. It's the username because it's your last name with your first initial. But my last name is Rodriguez. It's too long, so they chopped off the EZ. So it's Rodriguez. And then it was our first initial, go. and then 29 was my soccer number. But it's funny because all my brothers are like, Rodrigua, Rodrigug, Rodrigud, and it was just really funny. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd, we'd call each other that like in the house. It was, it was a good time. But yeah, <laughs> Rodriguer 29 that's me on Twitter. You can also check out our uh, website, ircbpodcast.com. We'll be posting new episodes there, obviously, as well as the show notes. So if there's a book we mentioned in passing and you want to remember what it was, find it on there we also have our weekly pull lists on there that we share every tuesday there's also a goodreads group uh we talk about this and once a month we have an episode dedicated to it but it's always ongoing there's a bunch of weekly conversations and discussions about what people are reading it's a lot of fun and shout out to kate scotchless for making that a great place to hang out and discuss comics Please rate, subscribe, and tell your friends all about the show. And you can also, like Nick said earlier, you can email us at ircb at destroythesibe.org. So please reach out. We'd love talking to you. Otherwise, we also want to give a big thanks to Infinity Shred. Uh, they're the ones that provide all of our music. And if you've been digging all of that awesome synth electronic score and you've been wondering where it comes from, it's Infinity Shred. They're great. Uh, beyond that, I just want to point out, uh, you know what? Every week, Mike says something about Xander. Xander's a magical wizard. Xander's a fantastic unicorn from the ethers of Nevermore. Things like this. You know what? I'm just going to set the record straight. Um, Xander is a real human being and a real hero. Uh, to quote the late, great Ryan Gosling uh, from Drive. And uh, the fact that he is a mortal... A uh, fallible human being just like the rest of us who makes all of this magic come true every week makes it that much more special there you go <laughs> otherwise thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you for listening tell your friends tell the people that aren't your friends tell the people you don't even know because they might even already know about it and look at that now you have a new friend with a shared interest you're welcome that's what we do here we bring people together exactly 
perfect. That was good. What? That was good. Yep. <laughs> Xander's gonna kill me. Yeah. <laughs> that was the biggest tangent ever. Oh my gosh. Just for the ending. That was beautiful. Oh. I'd love to say that it's just off the top of my head, but I, I've been thinking about that for a week. I was like, you know what? I think I think we're going to riff on the credits just because there's nothing that would probably um, really set Xander off quite like that. Oh, my so, gosh. Um, Great. Deep right. cuts, everyone. <laughs>